By the Fire Podcast presents The Heart Speaks. Written and performed by Dave Smale. Chapter 22 Hope in Disguise When he awoke the next morning, his phone flashed a red LED. He'd received a notification overnight. Usually that meant one or more meaningless emails, but this time it was a text from Darrell Thompson. It said, Can't do the career day, sorry. Tyrone sighed, gritting his teeth. It's gonna be that kind of day, huh, Lord? Tyrone chugged his liquid breakfast, a coffee-slash-coconut-oil-slash-butter-slash-stevia combo known as bulletproof coffee. He kissed a sleeping Keisha and headed for the school. If it was earlier, he'd have gone to the gym first, but this way maybe he and Keisha could go together later. When he arrived, he immediately noticed one other car in the lot, Principal DePaulo's gray Subaru, and she was still in it. Through her window, she glared at him before exiting the vehicle. DePaulo charged over to Tyrone's truck as he shut off the ignition and opened his door. Don't even bother, she growled, marching up to him. Excuse me, he said. Just get back in your car. He stared at her, puzzled. Go, she pointed at nothing in the distance. Your services are no longer required. Uh, what's going on, he asked. Not that I owe you an explanation, but did you think I wouldn't find out? Putting your hands on a student, she barked. Hold up. You talking about that little boy from yesterday? He was touching a little girl, trying to go up her skirt. He ran away from me and I caught him. She put her hand up, indicating she wouldn't entertain any more explanation from him. And that little stunt you pulled bringing cops and veterinarians in here without my permission? You see what happened? she declared. Tyrone frowned. No. What happened? Hello? Does an ambulance yesterday ring any bells? How stupid are you? DePaulo erupted. What? Wait, that ain't have nothing to do. I'm tired of your lies, she said, cutting him off. Lies? You've been nothing but trouble and bad publicity since you started. You're fired, Mr. Bowman. I'll have someone box up your personal things and leave them on the curb. Now get off this property before I call the police. DePaulo turned, making a show of storming off. Tyrone stared after her, dumbfounded. His thoughts flew around in random order. He was confused, upset, saddened, and panicked all at once. She hadn't even given him the decency of allowing him to explain either of the situations she was ostensibly firing him for. She was acting much like the unreasonable hoochie mama from yesterday. It made him want to punch something. Peace. Be still. Came a voice in his head. Right away, he knew whose voice it was. Against his primal instinct, he obeyed. DePaulo reached the front door of the school, about 50 yards away then turned to face him. Go! Get out of here now! She yelled, gesturing toward the exit. Tyrone climbed back into the driver's seat and turned the key. 
DePaulo stood in the doorway like a wooden statue until he'd left the grounds. This podcast is sponsored, in part, by Fiverr. Fiverr is an online marketplace for freelance services. Click the affiliate link in the show notes, and if you purchase anything from Fiverr, you're not just supporting freelance small business owners. You're also helping to support the spreading of the gospel all around the world through Christian Fellowship Ministries, to stop human trafficking through Operation Underground Railroad, and getting Bibles and supplies to the persecuted church through Voice of the Martyrs. Fiverr, it starts here. Keisha was still asleep when he arrived home. It was barely 7 a.m. He wasn't sure what time she woke up these days and decided to let her sleep. His thoughts and emotions were still a mess. But in his head, he heard the words his pastor had said from behind the pulpit on more than one occasion. When you don't have a job, looking for a job is your job. Quietly, he plopped on the couch and fired up his laptop. No time to fret, no time to waste. Let the job search begin again, he thought. He needed to update his resume first thing. Where was it anyway? Did he save it in his My Documents folder on the computer? Or was it on a flash drive? He hadn't looked at his resume in over a year. Locating it might be a chore. Not that it mattered at the moment, because the laptop, which he hadn't used in weeks, informed him that it also needed an update which it would give itself right now, whether he liked it or not, and sternly warned him not to turn it off. Dire consequences would ensue, no doubt. He watched as the update completion percentage remained at 4% for the next five minutes. Getting antsy, he set the computer down and went to the kitchen for a glass of water. As he gulped, Tyrone recalled saving his resume on a flash drive, and he thought he'd recently seen that flash drive in the junk drawer a kitchen drawer whose sole function was to be a place for all the things that didn't have a place, but weren't trash. Tyrone pulled the junk drawer open and quietly fished through its contents. Batteries, phone chargers, instruction manuals for various appliances, and more than one flash drive. In fact, there were three of them. He sighed. As he was closing the drawer, something else caught his eye. A business card. He held it up and read, Holloman and Son, Private Investigators. Tyrone thought back to the last time he'd seen Holloman. It was at his office. He'd just received the news that there was no news on his daughter's murder case. Not long after, Tyrone and Keisha had decided to terminate the investigation. Drawing it out had been too painful. They'd decided to forgive the killer, whomever it was. It wasn't that they didn't want to know what happened. They did especially Tyrone. Part of being a detective was working to provide closure, definite, unquestionable answers. Of course, there were always cases that couldn't be solved, cases that went cold. From time to time, it still irked Tyrone that his daughter's case had gone cold, apparently because of police malpractice. I wonder if there's any new developments, he thought, then rebuked himself. Course there ain't. We told Holloman to stop looking. Why would there be anything new? Still, the thought bothered him. Deep down, he still wanted answers, regardless of whether they'd forgiven the killer. He set the business card on the counter, finished his water, and went back to the computer. 
The updates were now at 17%. He sighed. His thoughts wandered back to DiPaolo and his firing. Wouldn't she have to document that she'd reprimanded him or at least give him a verbal warning before firing him? Perhaps she didn't, since it was a private school. But she didn't own the place. She answered to a board of advisors or trustees or something. Maybe he could file an appeal to them and be reinstated. Yes, that's what he'd do. He'd beaten DePaulo before. He could beat her again. Ty? He turned, startled. Keisha was standing in the hallway in her nightclothes. Hey, baby, he said softly, realizing he didn't need to keep his voice down if she was already awake. What's going on? She asked, You ain't have work today? I was let go. DePaulo fired me before I could even get out of my truck. Tyrone answered, trying to sound as undiscouraged as possible. Keisha's jaw hung open. What? I mean... She trailed off, shaking her head. She said it was because I put my hands on a kid. Happened yesterday right before I came home. Tyrone summarized what happened with the little boy in the schoolyard and his diva of a mother. When I tried to explain, she didn't want to hear it, and said my career week idea was unauthorized and ended up with an ambulance being called. Keisha screwed up her face. How'd that make sense? It don't. She wouldn't let me get a word in, called me a liar, and said I was bad for publicity, threatened to call the cops if I didn't leave right then. Keisha's jaw couldn't drop any further. I knew she didn't like me, but dang, she ain't like that she couldn't fire me before the school year started. I had never been written up or even got a verbal warning about anything I'm doing wrong. Yeah, right? Keisha said. Yeah. So I'm going to apply for some jobs, but I'm also going to appeal the board that runs the school to ask for my job back. As he said it, Keisha shook her head. Ty, no, don't do that, she said. He put his hands up as if to say, why? Let's say they agree she was wrong and you get your job back. You want to go back and work for her again? She'd just find some other reason to fire you the next week, she said. But, I mean, you're worried about the kids, right? Keisha said. Slowly he nodded, staring into space. I'm glad, Ty. God's really done a work in you. When you was a cop, you'd come home all mad and discouraged. Especially if you had to deal with kids that day. You thought there was no hope for the future, remember? Ty looked at her like she'd spoken gibberish. I did? He asked. Yeah. You just got to be so... I don't know. So negative. You stayed on the force because of the paycheck and the benefits. Plus, you thought you couldn't do anything else. You told me that more than once. I can't do nothing else. Most days you wanted to quit. Just being around the worst kind of people day after day wore you out. You couldn't stand half the other officers. Even after you became a detective. That's why you was at the gym working out all the time. He nodded. She was right. Pastor Turner had said something similar to him during one of their many marital counseling sessions. Tyrone had begun floating through life like a tennis ball down a gutter. Instead of being purposeful or driven, life happened to him, and he simply reacted once in a while when he needed to. It's why he, being a detective in professional life, couldn't tell that his own wife was having an affair in his personal life. The only time he felt alive was at the gym. That was, of course,
before he knew Christ and before God had restored his marriage. But now you're willing to go back and work for someone who hate you because you love those kids. You're the first one there, last one to leave. You always talking about them kids. I bet you'd show up even if they stopped paying you, said Keisha. Whoa, whoa, not so fast, he said. We still got bills to pay. I know, but my point is, you different now. Good different. You prove you could be something else than a cop. You a great teacher, Ty. A tear glistened in his eye. Thank you, baby. I love you, he said, moving to embrace her. That's different too, you know, she said. He pulled away but didn't let go. He cocked his head, confused. You never used to show your emotions. I can't never remember you crying. Not at our wedding. Not when Jella was born. Not even... She stopped short. She didn't have to continue. He knew what she was going to say. Not even at Jella's funeral. That wasn't completely accurate, but she didn't know that. His recurring dreams of Jella often woke him in a state of tears. But Keisha was usually asleep when that happened. Plus, it hadn't occurred in months. And I could count on one hand how many times you said, I love you, Keisha continued. I was always the one who said it first. Then you'd say, you too, he finished her sentence. It was no mystery why she'd sought love somewhere else. In fact, he recalled, after a while, she'd stopped saying it completely. Keisha smiled and nodded at him. Yeah, so if God can do something like that in you, he can get you another job. Just keep looking. I ever tell you how good you look with bedhead, he said. Not funny, she said. I'm going to take a shower, okay? Tyrone spent the next 30 minutes updating his resume. then began the job search looking for open teaching positions. He found almost none, applying for the only two he did find. One was a substitute, the other was a middle school math teacher. He then looked for city jobs. There were several open, but all required a background check. Knowing he'd likely be disqualified based on his history with the police, he searched for other jobs. Security companies were hiring, but the pay was atrocious. While searching, something caught his eye. A small pop-up ad that simply said, Make an impact. Fight slavery. Provide hope. Below the text, the ad scrolled pictures of children with their eyes lined out to protect their identities. After a few photos of kids, a photo of Harriet Tubman appeared. The ad's footer had a website link. Harriet'sHope.org Harriet's Hope? Tyrone wondered. Overcome by curiosity, he clicked on the ad. A website opened in a new window. When it loaded, a full-size photo of Harriet Tubman filled the backdrop. In the foreground, photos scrolled of children, again with eyes lined through. The headline on the main page said, The fight against slavery begins with hope. Slavery? Tyrone muttered. Intrigued, he read the article that followed. Before the first African-American slave was freed, Harriet had hope. That hope led to action, and that action led to countless lives delivered. 
Like the 19th century Underground Railroad, which battled the evils of slavery, Harriet's Hope battles the same modern evil, though in a slightly different fashion. You might be surprised to learn that there are more people enslaved today than at any time in history. However, today it goes by a different name, human trafficking. At Harriet's Hope, we do what Miss Tubman and her group of freedom fighters did. We risk our lives to set people free from the bondage of human trafficking. In the past year alone, we have rescued more than 270 souls, most of them children. Tyrone had no idea that slavery was still an issue. Sure, he'd heard the term human trafficking before, but never equated it with slavery. He thought it was a newfangled term for prostitution, like adult film actors were relabeled as sex workers. But when Tyrone read the word children, something changed. As if someone reached in and threw a switch in his heart, he was suddenly fully engaged. He clicked through every page of the website reading testimonials of freed slaves and watching videos of raids that the organization had carried out. Raids that reminded him of something the SWAT team would do. They rushed in, guns blazing. It looked insane. It looked dangerous. It looked amazing. Some of the raids took place in Central America, others in Southeast Asia, and some just a few states away. In each case, smugglers were arrested. Kids were freed. When Keisha emerged from their bedroom, fully dressed and ready for the day, Tyrone was almost done filling out the application. Thanks for listening to The Heart Speaks. If you enjoyed this episode, please feel free to leave me a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. I'll be back next week with another chapter. Until then, God bless and thank you.